So does the New Testament teach an any-moment rapture? Does it say that Jesus could come back at any moment? It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Phone lines are open. 866-34-TRUTH. Do you believe the New Testament teaches an any-moment rapture? That any moment, suddenly, without sign, without any indication, we could be zapped out of here to be with the Lord. Any moment, any time, is that what the New Testament teaches? In order to live in readiness, live in expectation, does that mean we need to believe in a pre-trib rapture? What does the New Testament teach? This is Michael Brown. Welcome to today's broadcast, 866-34-TRUTH, 866-348-7884. Do you believe the Bible teaches in any moment rapture that Jesus could come without any preceding sign? Just as I'm speaking, suddenly we could all be out of here. Suddenly drivers disappear from their cars, pilots disappear from their planes as it's, as it's uh, painted, the, the pictures painted in major movies and novels and things like that. Is that what Scripture teaches, or does the Bible teach of signs that we are to look for and a glorious appearing when we are caught up to meet him in the air? I want to follow through on a very friendly discussion I had with Dr. March, Mark, I kept saying March, sorry, Mark Hitchcock, because that Hitch, Mark Hitchcock, professor at Dallas Theological Seminary, but primarily a pastor, written, what, over two dozen books, primarily with focus on the end times, we had a very cordial, friendly discussion yesterday. It was not a debate. We've been asked by a radio host to do a formal debate, and we both agreed to do it. So I was not trying to debate, all right? If, if it was a debate, the, the tone would have been the same because he's a brother and I honor him in the Lord, but the approach would have been very different. I would have sought to demolish what I thought were wrong positions and expose what I felt was error. But I, I want to address a couple of things to help clarify to help you understand why I believe what I believe, why I teach and preach what I do. I, I, I was reading a lot of the YouTube comments yesterday. People are appreciating our dialogue and the tone of it and the graciousness of it. And then people arguing pre-trib, post-trib, other things like that. And I noticed one quote. I'm, I'm not putting the, the person's name up, male or female, I don't know. I'm not, not putting your name up. I don't want to embarrass you. But I, I just want to read this to explain something honestly and genuinely, because that's what you get with me. You don't get subterfuge, you don't get deceit, you don't get deception. What you see is what you get. What I believe is what I say, what I say is, is what I believe. God is my witness, and those that have known me for decades are my witness. So here's, here's the statement. It's getting harder and harder to listen to Brown anymore. His position in this discussion when it came to the historical references was to refer to someone else who disregards one source as complete in reference to Darby's views, then he gives pushback saying they all need to be evaluated scholarly and in detail to see if they match the framework of the rapture that Darby gave. Hitchcock gave him numerous references and Brown just deflected. Then why did Brown write a book repeatedly making the claim that it's all from Darby? All right, let's just stop there. There's a little bit more of the quote, but we'll, we'll stop there. First, the person called me Brown would suggest disrespect, but that's fine. Not a problem. Not a problem. But num number one, what we said in the book is one hundred percent accurate. And Dr. Hitchcock agreed that the 
system, the pre-trib dispensational system started by Darby that is believed by pre-tribbers today did not exist before Darby. No one wrote it. No one taught it. Zero. Nobody. That's a statement of fact, according to all evidence we have. Secondly, Dr. Hitchcock could not produce a single quote from early church leaders supporting their theory. Here, here's what you get from early church leaders, as, as Dr. Keener quotes in our book. Uh, for example, uh, the late second century bishop and church father Irenaeus wrote of, quote, the resurrection of the just, which takes place after the coming of Antichrist and the destruction of all nations under his rule. All right. And you can multiply quote after quote after quote. The one quote that was supplied was from an unknown author called Sula Ephraim. So because it's unknown, it's called pseudo. It wrote under a different name. We don't know who it really was. Somewhere between the fourth and seventh centuries. So in a 300 range year range period, we don't even know who it was. And the quote talked about the elect being gathered before tribulation, etc. But if you read the rest of pseudo Ephraim, you'll see he's talking about people dying before time of tribulation and then other saints whom he calls by the same name are going to be slaughtered during time of tribulation. We're going to be here. It is a complete misuse of the text to say that it speaks of a pre-trib rapture. Okay? So, number one, the system that Darby taught with Israel and the church being separate entities, and we're in a parenthesis age now with the church in between the 69th and 70th week, and then when the church is removed, God deals with Israel again and all that, and a pre-trib rapture seven years before a, a, a final rapture with this whole system was not taught before Darby. Zero witnesses to it. The second thing the Surah Ephraim quote stands out to you because none of the other early church leaders taught this. We don't, know, we don't even know who wrote this and when. And when you read it in context, it's saying the opposite. It's talking about believers being slaughtered and killed during the tribulation. All right? It, it didn't take me long to discover this, just reading through the document. Okay? The third thing is that the, the sources that were quoted from Puritans were all obscure authors, which is interesting. Why didn't all the, you've got mainline Puritan theologians, you've got the John Owens, and you've got the, the, the Jonathan Edwards, and you've got these other notable leaders and commentators, and the Matthew Henrys and all that, not a syllable from any of them about this alleged pre-trib rapture. It's these obscure authors, which most have never even heard of. So I asked two of the world's top Jonathan Edwards Puritan scholars on the planet, two of the top men on the planet, and they both got back to me, and they said, nothing of the Darby system is taught among any of these. And these obscure references from these different ones seem to be pointing to something different. And as far as Jonathan Edwards, here's, here's what one of them said to me today, confirming the other. Jonathan Edwards most certainly did not believe in a pre-trib rapture. His picture of the saints being caught up in the air takes place after the millennium, which itself takes place after a long 250-year period of concurrent tribulation and revival for the church. <clears throat> so you can pull a quote here and there. I'm going to look at things as a scholar, as one that's going to put it in context and read it. When you read it in context, oh, that's not what it's saying at all. So yeah, I, I gave Dr. Hitchcock plenty of time to present his position, to let him explain why he differed. I gave a little pushback. All right, here's rebuttal. Here's refutation. So I repeat, 100% this began with Darby. The system that is believed today was not preached or taught with any evidence before Darby. Is it possible that there's an obscure reference from an obscure leader that no one heard about before 
that talked about believers getting caught up at a certain point before tribulation? Perhaps, but no mainstream teacher taught it, no major leader taught it ever before Darby. Emphatically, I can say that. No one taught the system before Darby. Emphatically, I can say that. And let's go one step further. These quotes need to be investigated by scholars of that era because you keep reading and then the guy's talking about, you know, going through great tribulation or resurrection after tribulation. So you got to read everything in context. And for someone to be upset with me for, for doing that or thinking I'm deflecting, that to me speaks of lack of love of truth. That to me speaks of coming with a bias and rather hearing evidence when, when someone pushes back, you're going to call it deflection. Now, here's what's interesting, though, and, and probably the deeper root here. All right. So the the writer here says Brown does the same thing whenever he's questioned about the nuttiness and abuses of the Pentecostal charismatic leaders. He obfuscates and claims ignorance or defends them since he personally knows them to be loving Christians. It's tiresome. I appreciate Brown's work in other areas. Not sure why he plays this card all the time. I don't play a card. I don't play cards. I speak truth in love. I don't play cards. If something presents a difficulty, I say, that's, that's difficult. Or I'm going to have to look that up. Or that's a good question. I do it all the time. So what was wrong with my book, Playing with Holy Fire, where, where I spent a whole book written within the last two years addressing lots of errors and abuses within the Pentecostal charismatic movement? Did you read the book? Probably not. So how can you say I'm obfuscating if you didn't even read the book where I lay things out for a couple hundred pages. And if something is an internet myth, if something is an exaggeration, if something is a falsehood, I'm going to tell you. And look, I defend John MacArthur against false charges. This happened quite a few times. I I had someone that was ranting and raving about a, a church MacArthur was part of and how she got abused and all. And she started naming pastors names. And this one did this to me. And this one did that. We took her off the air. That's not that you're, we're not just going to let someone call in and start raising charges against leaders in the body, whether I agree with them or not. That's not going to happen. And if there's a documented case, let it come with witnesses in a proper setting. And when I'm ignorant of something, when I never heard of it, I'll tell you, I don't know. I'm going to have to look into it. So here's the deal. Look me in the eyes if you're watching. Give me your best ear if you're listening. I don't obfuscate. I don't avoid the issues. I confront them head on honestly and truthfully and as accurately as I can. Oh, and by the way, you should be glad that I dig and that I do my best to get things in context because, you know, the Bible is misused day and night by people who take words out of context. Day and night, it's misused. Oh, not only so, Jewish literature. Look, I am not a Talmudic Jew. I have a whole volume written as to, as to why I'm not a Talmudic Jew and why I differ with Jewish tradition. But words are because the Talmud is so complex and so long, people pull a, a line out of context and completely misuse it, and it's led to bloodshed of Jews through the century. In fact, I'm going to talk about some of that a little bit later in the broadcast. The idea came up yesterday, though, that unless you believe in a pre-trib rapture, you're not waiting for the Lord, looking for the Lord. Boy, do I take strong exception to that. It first means that all believers through history who did not believe in a pre-trib rapture, including the disciples of the apostles, and that's demonstrable in their writings, all right, that they weren't looking for and waiting for the coming of Jesus. And that all of us today who don't hold to a pre-trib rapture and every Christian leader through the centuries, through the millennia, 
who is not held to a preacher rapture, that they weren't really looking for the Lord and waiting for the Lord and anticipating the Lord. Boy, do I categorically beg to differ with that. Absolutely from the heart. You do not have to believe in an any-moment rapture to be looking for, anticipating, longing for, speeding the coming of the day of God. And not only so, do you have a guarantee that the Lord won't come for you today, for me today? Do we have a guarantee that we'll be here tomorrow? I live every day ready to meet the Lord. And more importantly, I live every day in light of the judgment where one day as a believer, I'll give account for my life before the throne as a child of God. That's sobering. We'll be right back. Your calls are next. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. So does the New Testament teach an any-moment rapture? That's my specific question. Not the larger question of your pre-trib, post-trib, but do you believe that there are verses in the New Testament that tell us that Jesus could come at any moment? Do you think that is as Peter Paul were in the early stages of their gospel mission, that they thought that Jesus could come at any moment. Has that been a right view in history? Or is it one thing to say he's at the door, he's near, his coming is near, it's at the door, it's imminent, as opposed to saying he could come any second. Is there a difference there? 866-34-TRUTH. Before we go to the phones, I want to look at one more scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Four, uh, excuse me, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 is one of the famous, quote, rapture passages, all right? And, and uh, Paul, Paul writes this. Actually, let's, let's start in verse 13, back up to verse 13. Now, we, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who are asleep, so that you, meaning believers who've, de- who've died, so that you may not grieve like the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Yeshua died and rose again, so with him God will also bring those who have fallen asleep in Yeshua. For this we tell you, by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall in no way precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself shall come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the blast of God's shofar. And the dead in Messiah shall rise first, Then we who are alive, who are left behind, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore encourage one another with these words. I noticed during yesterday's show that someone posted, your position doesn't encourage me, that we have to go through the tribulation. That doesn't encourage me. Ooh, I was grieved to see that. First, Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. Paul said, we must through, must through, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. We're promised tribulation. We're promised suffering. The, the, the believers that were blown up on Sunday in Sri Lanka and those in critical condition, families in agony right now of heart and mind, they, they weren't spared from tribulation. They, they didn't escape. The Christians in Nigeria who've been butchered so far this, this year, the ones be, beheaded and burned alive and, and buried alive and tortured in every way by ISIS, they, they didn't escape tribulation. The comfort is not that we don't go through the tribulation. That's not the comfort. 
we're promised tribulation. You say, well, we're not promised rest. Okay, let's talk about tribulation. Great tribulation, tribulation. Those are the words. Jesus promises us tribulation in this world. The comfort is not that we don't go through it. The comfort is that those who have died will, will, will rise again and will be with them in the Lord forever. That's the comfort. Not that we don't go through the tribulation. You know, I just tweeted out during the break, newsflash, pastors are not called to make their people feel good. They're called to make their people spiritually healthy. 866-34-TRUTH. Uh, let's go over to Jody in Mooresville. Welcome to the line of fire. Well, uh, pray, praise the name of Yahweh, Elohim, and Jesus Christ. And I appreciate uh, your ministry and I believe you're a true Christian, whether you're right or wrong on the issue. I don't know totally. But what um, the reason I would lean towards the pre-tribulation uh, rapture would be like in the passages like Psalm 37, Matthew 5, and Revelation. Like Revelation, it says, Jerusalem shall come down, and it seems like we're going to inherit the earth, uh, you know, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth in Psalm 37. And it just uh, don't make sense that if it was a rapture at the end of the tribulation, then we'd come down and in, inherit the earth. Um, but that's when we inherit. That's sense. when we inherit. The, yeah, but pre-trib or post-trib, sir, uh, inherit the earth at the same time. In other words, we believe that we inherit the earth in the millennial kingdom and, and then forever. So the, the whole idea of the rapture is we meet the Lord as he's coming. Remember, this is not his near arrival. This is his coming. So he comes with the clouds. He comes for us. We, we're caught up together with him. The word for meeting is what you do. You go out. Here comes the emperor. So you go out to meet the emperor as he's coming in, and then you march in with him. So here we get raised up. The, here we're being persecuted. We've been beaten down. The world's despised us and mocked us. They've mocked our views of the second coming. Go ahead, cry out to your God. He's not going to save you. Jesus is never coming. You know, and, and the Antichrist is all powerful. And here he appears for the whole world to see. And now we're caught up to meet him as he's coming. We are his entourage. We are now glorified. Those dead Messiah are raised from the dead. Those who are alive. Just think of it. Suddenly resurrected. And the whole world sees this. We're caught up with him and descend with him as he destroys the wicked. And now we rule on the earth with him. So it's, it's a glorious glorious picture actually and and it's one that goes totally in, in in harmony with the meek inheriting the earth it's yeah we're we're gonna rule and reign with him hey but thank you we can agree to disagree god bless you man thank you uh 866-34-TRUTH let's go to sam in minnesota thanks for calling the line Dr. Of fire. Brown. hey hey i'm a huge fan I, I listen to your program all the time so this is a real treat to be on with you sweet um Obviously, whenever you listen to people, you agree, and then you have some disagreements. And then this is one area I'm so happy and thankful, first of all, that you are covering it and you're allowing people with a different point of view to call into your show, like myself. Uh, I do believe in a pre-trip, and this is not based on my background. As a matter of fact, pretty much all my friends don't believe in that because they believe in that supersession uh, type of theology. And so Got I think it. the basis is understanding the difference between Israel and the, the Church but first of all, I'd like to challenge your point, uh, any kind of post-trip. You've got to find things in the Old Testament, because everything, everything in the Bible is all found in the Old Testament. I challenge you, I think you have a difficulty with that when you realize 
that the church, we are a Gentile bride of Christ, quote-unquote. Um, I say that because Jews are also a part of that, uh, who come to faith in the Messiah. But you, you go through Scripture. I mean, you start back, Enoch. Enoch was raptured prior to the flood. Then you go over to Joseph, and Joseph was married to a Gentile bride who's in Egypt for 20 years, and then he... Um, he dealt with well, t- tell you what, since, since you're challenging me, right? since you're challenging me, uh, I'll, I'll go the mm-hmm. exact opposite point for point. Hundred percent post-trib. Number one, the children of Israel in Egypt. God poured out His judgments on the Egyptians, but He kept the Israelites safe right there in the land of Egypt. Number one. Ah. Number number two. No, not as, uh, no, I, number I number two. Real, real, quick, real quick, no, no, no. We we are the flock of Jethro. Flock of Jethro. Look that up. Where did Moses lead the flock of Jethro before he went to Egypt? We he led them to the it, mountain of God. Listen, the plagues were the taking place. God, Sam, Sam, all right, t- tell you what, tell you what. As a fan, you got got to let me talk. All right, got got to let me talk here. Okay, you challenge me, I'm going to respond. Number one, the Egyptians went in the land of Goshen. That's in Egypt. They went to see, and they saw that the plagues did not touch the Israelites. And when the Israelites went, the the firstborn were killed. The Israelites went to their neighbors. They live right there. And, and ask for silver and gold, etc. Number one. Example number two. Ezekiel chapter nine. As judgment came on the people of Judah and Jerusalem, and the destroying angel was sent to smite them, the Lord said, put a mark, put a mark on those who weep and mourn for the sins of the nation and don't touch them. So they were preserved right in the midst of God's judgment. Number three is Isaiah, the end of the 26th chapter, where God tells his people, Go into the inner chamber and hide there for a little while until my wrath passes by. Not go to heaven. Not, no, no, you go hide for a little while until my wrath passes by because you're going to be right here. That's number three. Number four, Zephaniah chapter two, verse three. God says to the righteous, perhaps you can find shelter during the time of wrath. And what does Jesus pray in John 17, 15? He says, I pray, Father, for his disciples, not, not that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. That is the way it's going to be. The Bible consistently testifies. But Sam, you seem like an interested student in the Word. You really need to read Not Afraid of the Antichrist. It'll be a real eye-opener for you, especially if you read it with an open heart and mind. I would interact it more, but can't cut me off when I'm trying to answer you, buddy. God bless. All right. Uh, Michael in New York, welcome to the line of fire. Time's short, so dive right in. Uh, uh, hey, Dr. Brown. Uh, what I'm going to ask is uh, the eternal security of a believer in, uh, in the tribulation. Uh, Revelation 14, uh, verses 9 through 11, talk about anybody taking uh, the mark of the beast or worshiping the beast will drink of the wine of the wrath of God and will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Uh, so, my question really is, uh, if, if believers, if we go through the tribulation and... Uh, yeah, but Michael, there are plenty, read through the Revelation over and over. It talks about the perseverance of the saints and the believers in the midst of tribulation, right. sometimes protected, well, sometimes killed. So there's going to be a multitude of believers during the time of great tribulation. And we're having a real hard time with your phone connection there. So i uh, just got to uh, mute that right now. It's very difficult to hear but I wanted to try to let you get your point out. A Revelation, the seventh chapter, talks about a multitude that no one could number. And look at this. It's, it's from every tribe and, and nation, right? These are the ones coming out of the Great Tribulation. 
They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. All right. And it's from every tribe and tongue, etc. Right. Beyond what people could number, every nation, all tribes, people's languages, standing before the throne, before the lamb, clothed in white, brand, in white robes with palm branches in their hands. So these are people dying in the midst of the tribulation. So a great multitude saved and many will die just as many are dying today. Many will die then. And others read through Revelation. We lay it out and not afraid of the Antichrist. Quite a few verses that talk about the believers, believers persevering. So, yeah, we, we won't get the mark of the beast. And some of us will die for it. Others will be miraculously kept by God in the midst of it. Just as it is today, it's going to be like then, more intense. Just as it's been in communist nations, where unless you, you, you go with the communist party, you're going to be cut out and, and cut off. That's happened to believers for many years now. All right, we'll be right back. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. One of the best ways to expose Jew hatred, to expose anti-Semitism, to expose libels, exaggerated charges, ridiculous claims made against the Jewish people, one of the best ways to do it is to confront those charges, to speak about them, to have honest dialogue about them, because the moment you do, folks who espouse these views will come pouring out. Maybe you didn't know that they were there, but they will make themselves known. So last week, we aired my interview with Dr. E. Michael Jones, a Catholic scholar. I hold that his views are anti-Semitic, a classic anti-Semitism that blames the Jews for virtually all major problems in world history for centuries, and that finds something just inherent in the Jewish people, either their religion or their nature, spiritual nature, or something that makes them rebels and subversives so that you can speak of the Jews, the Jews. And then you'll allegedly find New Testament support for it, whereas if you'll study the text more carefully, you'll see they provide no such support. We had a civil conversation we were committed to do it. He was glad to have the conversation. I was as well. His words speak for themselves. He doesn't need anyone to defend him. And I'm not here to attack what he said in his absence. What I am here to do is draw attention to what his followers have to say. We posted the video on our website. He posted it on, uh, on our YouTube page. He posted it on his YouTube page, even though he has a, a third less or a half less subscribers that we do he's gotten a ton more views and, and i haven't looked at it for days but the comments were racking up and the and it was like you know 1300 likes to 13 dislikes in other words preaching to a total echo chamber so when you go there you start to see the hatred the bias against jews the accusations against jews and my producer sent me clips i don't know who this fellow is there's just a handful of views on it we've got his face obscured uh but I want you, here's, he's a, a fan of, of Dr. Jones, and he was critical of my interaction with Dr. Jones. I want you to hear this because it is so typical of what's out there. Let's listen. And it's really good to hear him interacting with these people because you really get to see how slippery and slidey the whole uh, Jewish perspective is and, and how ignorant they are 
to to what they're up to. You're caught off guard in many cases because these guys can manipulate their words and make everything sound so reasonable and make everything sound so fair and so goodly with their argument. But all the while ignoring the spiritual battle. Ah, so when I point out the truth about different issues, when I point out the truth about what a certain scripture says and what biblical scholars recognize, I could point out that with all this alleged Jewish influence, we've never had a Jewish president. We've not had a Jewish vice president. Have we had Jewish governors? I mean, with all of our alleged amazing influence, and, and, and somehow it hasn't stopped us from getting slaughtered by nation after nation. Oh, that's another proof that we're so wicked. We're just getting what we deserve, which is basically what this guy says in another clip on the video that was sent to me. So when I speak truth, when I'm accurate, I'm being slippery and I'm denying the spiritual battle. What, what spiritual battle? What, what spiritual battle? Jews don't believe in Jesus. Religious Jews want to be left to themselves and live their lives and follow their traditions. That's what they want. They're not trying to proselytize others. They want to live their lives and, and that's it. They may want to try to get other Jews to be religious, but that's it. They're not trying to take over the world. They don't really care much about a lot of the world. In fact, a lot of them live in poverty because they just want to study rabbinic literature all day. It's the secular Jews who are broken away from this that will often be more influential in society. And, and here, I mean, the Jews are responsible for pornography. Uh, somehow I don't remember you, you Hefner being Jewish. Ah, oh, you're being slippery. See, every time you come back with facts, every time you come back with information, you're being slippery. But, but here's the thing. And here's where the, where the anti-Semitic bias co comes out. I want you to hear this. This is how the, the, the gentleman ends his video. Listen. It's interesting to listen to how the Jew talks. You know, because even though this guy says he's messianic and everything, he, he, he's, he's still got that Jew thing about him. And it's so funny because that was part of the discussion is, are Jews inherently this? Are they inherently that? Well, listening to you, it kind of sounds like it. Dude, you're a Christian. So what the f***? Inherently, you need to lose it, dude. Lose the rest of it. Ah, that hearing that Jew talk, the Jew is inherently something wrong inherently with the Jew. So I just got to lose the Jew part. Well, I like Paul, who said, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Right. Or like Jacob writing to, to the believers and, and to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. That's how he addresses them. Or, or, or like Jacob in Acts, the 21st chapter, where he talks about how many multitudes of thousands of, of Jewish believers there are zealous for God's Torah. Yeah, just lose it. Just lose it. Lose the Jewish stuff. Lose it. <clears throat> I mean, here. So here is just a tiny selection of comments. And trust me, we could give you these by the dozens, by the hundreds. A tiny selection of some comments of people watching Dr. Jones's video and applauding him for his masterful job. Okay, here's first. The Jews are indeed cursed as taught by the Holy Ghost through St. Paul at 1 Thessalonians 2.16 about the Jews. The wrath of God has come upon them to the end. Well, it's actually talking about those Jews who killed the prophets, and particularly Judean leaders, and who killed Jesus, and who opposed the gospel. It was not the whole Jewish world. No, no, there were, there were specific Jews that had done these things. And yes, they're hostile to God. And yes, absolutely, hostile to man and to God. Absolutely. Those Jews who were responsible for the death of the prophets, those Jews who gave Jesus over to be crucified, those Jews who persecuted Paul and others, yeah, evil. That's not the Jews worldwide. Ah, no, no, no. They're all, they're all cursed. Here, a Jew who accepts Christ 
and continues to identify with and accept the modern-day Jewish faith is nothing other than a lying, subversive element. Judaism is explicitly the rejection of Christ, the rejection of Christ and a clinging to a racial superiority which Jesus obliterated. This is why they hate Christ. They want the special boy status they once had. Sorry, you offended God one too many times. Now you are to repent and give up your Antichrist Messiah to serve Jesus or forever be cut off from God. Well, first, I don't accept the modern-day Jewish faith. I accept the Jewish faith of the Scriptures, which includes affirmation of Jesus the Messiah. That's number one. Number two, Judaism, study, the study. take 10 years to, to just get to a little introduction of learning rabbinic literature, and you'll find 99.9999999999% of it has nothing to do with Jesus. It is based on development of laws and traditions. It is without Jesus. Yeah, but it is, it is, it is the, the whole purpose of, here. Is, Christ, is the whole purpose of Christianity rejection of Muhammad? No, I mean, Muhammad comes after. That's, that's the first thing. But no, but that, that's how people, they so misunderstand it. Look, I saw a dialogue with Dr. Jones and someone else saying, yeah, they Jews deep down, they know Jesus is really the Messiah and they're fighting the Catholic faith. It's like, I'm Jewish. I spent 64 years among Jewish people in constant interaction. Bogus. Nonsense. Might as well. Well, anyway, don't need one of my analogies. All right. Another quote. Everyone should see this video. The Jews do want to take over. The Jews do want to take over the world. Typical anti-Semitic libels. And when you point out they're anti-Semitic, you're just slippery. You're just deceptive. You're just being like a Jew. <clears throat> And it's so interesting that Israel, surrounded by hostile nations, Israel with a hostile UN, I thought Israel controls everything. I thought Israel controls world government. They don't control the Security Council. They don't control the UN General Assembly. They don't control the Muslim world. Uh, Jews having to leave France, Jews having to leave England, they're not controlling those countries. Kind of interesting with all this control, we're doing a lousy job of protecting our interests. EMJ. E. Michael Jones is 100% spot on. A Jewish Christian? You mean invisible like the vampires? The Protocols of Zion. I mean, this, this is te- textbook. The Protocols of the Elders of Zion is textbook anti-Semitism. It is a known forged document, a libelous document. It was created by the Russian secret police uh, over 100 years ago. Okay. We know it. Factually, we know it. And has these standard lies about Jews that are repeated around the world. So he's, he's quoting the protocols of Zion. And to say like a Jew who follows Jesus and still has Jewish identity, like Paul, like Peter, like John, like Matthew, like the rest of the apostles and, and the bulk of the early Jewish believers in, 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 in the, the church for centuries, that that doesn't exist. That doesn't exist. That's like vampires in a, in a mirror. Okay, how about this one about me? He is a Jew. What do you expect? It's in his nature to be a liar and subversive. I'm surprised he surprised he allowed comments. <laughs> Friends, I, this, is, this is why we've raised attention to this. This is why my book, Our Hands Are Stained With Blood, has been continuously in print since 1992. And, and remember, a bunch of these people claiming uh, that, that are posting these things claim to be Christians. It's sick. It's ugly. It, uh, let, let's keep going. 42 minutes in, and Brown basically says he knows the Jews were the cause of communism, porn, and gay marriage, but you still can't paint the Jews with a broad brush. At this point, I would judge Brown as a full-on Zionist hack or either with a seriously diminished mental capacity. Yeah, the serious diminished mental capacity, that's obviously the way to go. I'm not smart enough to be a, a Zionist hack. 
And if I was a Zionist shill, I'd be getting paid by the Zionists to do this. So it must, must be the diminished mental capacity that's gotten me in trouble for, for decades. But here, I actually, well, I was curious. I actually went back to the quote when I talked about that Jews have had a disproportionate influence, secular Jews who've broken away from rabbinic tradition, who've broken away from Talmudic teaching, all right, who've broken away from the way Jews lived for generations. They've had a disproportionate world influence for bad and for good. <laughs> how about truth? How about all the, all the scientific discoveries that have contributed to our health and our well-being and medical cures and things like that and, and have brought about peace and, 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 and benefited human lives around the planet because of Jews who've pioneered these things? Oh, no, that doesn't count. Only the bad stuff. Only the bad stuff. And all the bad stuff the Gentiles do, you can't make a generalization. I can say the Gentiles are responsible for communism. Was jo- Joseph Stalin a Jew? No. Was Mao Zedong a Jew? No. Was Paul Pot a Jew? No. <clears throat> Brown needs to subscribe to True News, period. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We continue to call them out for anti-Semitic tropes and hope they will engage in serious dialogue. Brown needs to go on Israel News Live. They've been trying. He's been avoiding. They'd wipe the floor of them. I've, I've been trying to interact. We have public invitations to interact. We've never once heard from them. I said, invite me on your show. I'll come on anytime. Come on my show. He's just another Jewish scammer that needs to be exposed as such. We are at war with Jews and have been since the crucifixion of Christ. It will not end until they are completely defeated. All you Zionist demons are going back to hell. It's over. This is why we raise our voice. This is why we expose the lies of anti-Semitism. This is why Jewish blood has been shed for years because of these lies. And we're going to keep raising our voices. We're going to keep speaking the truth. I don't care what the consequences are. We're going to do it in Jesus' name. It's The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks for joining us, friends, on The Line of Fire. All right, I, I needed to share those things, get them off my heart, into your hearts the phone lines are open, 866-34-TRUTH. Uh, some continuing discussion about pre-trib rapture after my discussion, friendly discussion with Dr. Mark Hitchcock yesterday. Mark, if you're listening, blessings on your travels. Uh, before I go to the phones, Nobel Prizes have been awarded to over 900 individuals, of whom at least 20% were Jews. Although the Jewish population compromises less than 0.2% of the world's population. It wasn't Jews who blew up Christians in Sri Lanka this past Sunday. It was Muslim extremists. It wasn't Jews responsible for the death of 60 million Chinese under Chairman Mao. And on and on and on it goes. And for those of you who didn't like the policies of Barack Obama, well, Barack Obama's not Jewish. Well, Jews own the White House. Then why did Barack Obama broke a, broker a trade deal with Iran that was terrible for Israel. And on and on and on it goes. Hey, hey Matt, uh, see how many scientific Nobel Prizes were won by Jews, what their percentages are there. 
I want to look at one verse. I was just looking at this during the break, but I want to draw your attention to it in the, in the book of Revelation. All right? In the book of Revelation, it's talking about the fall of, of Babylon. Okay? And it says in chapter 18, verse 20, all right? Rejoice over her, Revelation 18, 20, O heaven, and you Kedoshim, you saints, you holy ones, emissaries, apostles, and prophets, for God has judged her condemnation of you. Now, is he talking to believers, apostles, and prophets in heaven, saying rejoice in her, O heaven, and all you who are in heaven rejoice? Or is he talking to believers on the earth? It'd be interesting if he's talking to believers on the earth, because to call them saints, apostles, prophets means that's the church that is there. Remember, it's not a syllable, not a not a word in the book of Revelation about the church ever taken out at any point. Never happens. Never happens. Just pointing that out, making the point. All right, let's go to the phones. Wayne in Texas, welcome to the line of fire. Well, uh, thank you for taking my call. You're welcome. Um, well, let me here. Let me put you directly on the phone and turn off the Bluetooth. Yeah, please do. Okay, no more Bluetooth. Um, All right, thanks. That's probably a lot clearer. All right, so I, I have the only part of my faith or the word I've really struggled with is um, is the rapture, and I've always had trouble kind of wrapping my faith and brain around it. Part of the problem is is the multiple versions of pre-trib, post-trib, and rebuild the temple. And the, the, the main thing I've gotten from it, and tell me if I'm wrong, is that we should be prepared. And the main way we should be prepared is, is by spreading the gospel uh, to everyone we can, tell everyone we can about Jesus, and yeah, pray that's... for the salvation of the world and, and for specific people. Yeah, and, and live godly lives. Uh, here, here's what Peter writes in Second Peter chapter 3, when he's talking about the, the coming destruction of uh, the, the heavens and earth, the, the renovation of the heavens and earth with fire and, and the return of Jesus. He says this in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 11, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. So you're absolutely right. What we need to do, sir, is, is live in readiness and expectation that we want to be pleasing to the Lord every day. And we know that one day he's going to return. And when he returns, we're going to be like him and be with him forever. That's the first thing. We want to live lives that are worthy of the Lord and holiness and godliness. And we want to spread the gospel and we want to do it with a sense of urgency because none of us have a promise of tomorrow. Our neighbor has no promise of tomorrow. And, and even best-case scenario, we only have one life to reach our generation. So that gives me a sense of urgency every single day. And we need to be assured that whatever comes our way, God's grace is sufficient. God's grace will carry us through. Even if we go through hell on earth, God's grace will carry us through. And when he pours out wrath and judgment, he will keep us from it, as he's done many times in the past. Hey, thank you, Wayne, for calling. And you don't have to try to figure everything out. Uh, key thing is to look forward to the return of the Lord, live in readiness and share the gospel. Be a disciple, make disciples. I'm with you on that. Uh, 866-34-TRUTH. All right, let's go right over to Stacy in Fort Worth. You are on the line of fire. Hi, Dr. Brown. Hello. Hi. 
Go ahead. Can you hear me? Uh, you got to okay, speak up I a little more. There, there we go. That's better. Uh, okay, I'm sorry. I'm. It's. I have a bad cell connection. I'm in the car, but um, I'm actually a Calvary Chapel Bible College graduate. Okay. Uh, from the '90s, and um, so we were taught pre-trib rapture. Um, yeah. We did. Um, we had to do a paper on our views of post, uh, mid, and pre. And so we had to, uh, you know, theologically look at everything. Um, and I had a question based on doctrine and the rapture as a doctrine in Christianity. Um, I was under the impression, because of Christ's words, that uh, the law and the prophets are the foundation for all doctrine. And that's why Paul referred to let the prophets speak two or three and let the others judge and let everything be established by two or three witnesses. And so my question is, where in the Old Testament do the prophets, Moses, or the minor, any of the prophets, refer to the rapture? Right. Well, they, they certainly don't, uh, of course. And by the way, I thank God for so many fine Calvary Chapel pastors in America and the tradition many of them have that they still use, going back to Chuck Smith, you know, preaching through the whole Bible, which just keeps them in the Word. Uh, I spoke at a Calvary Chapel in California a few weeks back, uh, back in February, and we did three services, one Saturday, two Sunday morning, and each one I got to speak a good 40, 45 minutes. Sometimes we do multiple services, they want to shorten it, but they love the Word, and so I, I, I appreciate that. That blesses me. Uh, but no, I don't, I don't see any reference to it. I see a reference to God bringing Jew and Gentile together in the Messiah. I see that that's something right. Paul o- opens up, that the expectation was in, in this perfect messianic age with Israel exalted and, and God ruling and reigning over the earth, that at that time the Gentiles would come streaming in and learn from the God of Israel and would worship together, you know, Isaiah 19, Egypt, Assyria, and Israel together. What Paul says is, no, no. Now that the Messiah has come, that, that, that has already begun. Jew and Gentile are already being joined together in Messiah now. Uh, some people would try to argue that there are hints that point to a, a pre-trib rapture. A caller earlier said, you know, well, Enoch was raptured before the flood. Well, there are other righteous people that weren't raptured. And it's got nothing to do with him being raptured. He was a righteous man, and he's taken to, to be with the Lord. Noah wasn't raptured. Noah and his family had to endure the, the flood and endure the ark but they were preserved by God in the midst of the storm. Uh, some would say, well, Lot and his family, the wrath couldn't be poured out until they left. Well, first, it's just one act of wrath. So that could easily be the second coming. We're caught up to meet the Lord, and, and he pours out his wrath. Uh, and the other thing is they, they just went to another location. But all the examples that I find elsewhere in the Old Testament speak of God protecting us as his wrath is poured out. I went through them with a previous caller, so I won't do that again now. But I, I see... Uh, I see no evidence of a pre-trib rapture in the Old Testament and in the New. Actually, I, I see an emphasis on the return of Jesus that has different aspects to it. I don't believe in a second coming right. and a third coming. Right. And some folks say, well, look, the first coming of Jesus had different elements to it, but, but he didn't come multiple times to the earth. He, he came to the earth once and was born and, and, and lived and did everything he did while on the earth. Whereas the rapture view is Jesus comes all the way back. It's called a coming, but he actually doesn't arrive. And it's called an appearing, but he doesn't appear. So it's, it's using words. It, it speaks of his arrival. Right. And, and, and there is no arrival if he doesn't make it. You know, again, what, I fly all the time. And sometimes, you know, your plane's late and you're going to get your connection in time. And they say, all right, flight four, number, 416, 
out of New York has just arrived. It doesn't mean it's in the air. It means it's on the ground. It's on the ground. It arrived. The, the coming, the parousia of the Lord is, is an arrival. So if, if you're going to use the same Greek word for, for, and talk about his coming, for the rapture, okay, uh, for, for the rapture and, and for the, uh, the second coming, because the New Testament writers use the same Greek words, parousia and epiphania, apocalypse, etc. You can't even teach it without using different words. So if you're going to use the same words the way the New Testament writers do, you're going to say, first there's the coming of Jesus, then the coming of Jesus, but he doesn't actually come. No, you believe in, in several comings, one of which is, you, you believe in a second coming, which is not really a coming, and a third coming, which is a coming. I believe in one second coming, as taught emphatically in Scripture, at which time he appears gloriously, we are caught up to meet him as his entourage, right? He is, that's what we do. We're meeting him in the air. That's what the meeting is. You don't meet and turn around and go the other direction. The meeting is to escort the person back. That is how it is used. Hey, Stacy, thanks for sharing that. Yeah, so if, if you just look, uh, this one last point I wanted to make, um, 54 approximately Jewish winners of Nobel Prizes in Chemistry, 55 in Physiology or Medicine, the rest Literature, Economics, Peace, when you look at the percentage of Jews that have won in chemistry and physiology, and then when you see the good that has come to the world through many of these Jewish discoveries, and then when you find out how many Jewish philanthropists are giving generously to help causes around the world. Yeah, you've got the George Soros's who are giving for bad causes, and you've got other Jews, conservative Jews, giving for good causes. And you've got Jews, the, the moment the calamity in Sri Lanka happened, Israel said, we're here to help. Because that's what they do. And, and then you got Israelis doing bad things. Why? Because Jews are like everybody else. Human beings. Good points, bad points. All of us needing Jesus. Back with you tomorrow, friends.